Hey baddies, welcome to our Samhain episode, honeys. We have made it to October 27th, 8th, I don't know what day this is going to come out. I just know that um, Samhain is October 31st, our favorite day of the year. Well, most, I think a lot of us, not maybe not everyone. Um, but yeah, we are going to have such a fun episode today. I really hope you like the thing I'm going to do. It's a little... Okay, so in honor of last year's Witchery episode, I wanted to do something in the same vein and kind of have a discussion about witches in the media and kind of like in a larger, not even the media, but like in the, in folklore and in storytelling and in history. Anyway, I don't know. I really like these nerdy episodes, so just like bear with me. I thought it would be fun. So today I wanted to talk about the real versions of fairy tales. So not the version that we get from, can I say Disney without getting sued? I don't know if you can even say their name. <laughs> I don't like disparage them or anything. But yeah, not the Cinderella and the Little Mermaid and the Hansel and Gretel. That's not a, is that a Disney movie? I don't think so. But the ones that we grew up with that are these very sanitized, um, Rapunzel. Whew, that's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, these, they're these very child-friendly, kid-friendly, as fairy tales, you know, should be, <laughs> uh, versions of these stories that we grow up with. But then you learn the real stories and they are so dark and so chaotic. And honestly, those are the versions I like. I think they're kind of cool. And I've always really personally been interested in these grim tales. I mean, grim, right? Uh, but also like the Perot, and I should probably not start trying to name all of the authors because a lot of these stories also originate before Perot and Grimm and, you know, these people that we've gotten these, these stories from. And there are definitely stories in the oral tradition and in uh, like folk tradition in these cultures. And we see variations of these short stories across the globe, you know, across time and across the globe. Uh, but yeah, they are the stories that I love. They're the versions I love. They're so kooky. Like, who has come up with the first? I'm going to go into various ones. But the first time I heard, uh, was it the Hansel and Gretel one that really freaked me out? That one just, oh, oh. I, I don't want to tell you the full stories now. But just the family, like, leading the kids into the woods because... They were on the brink of starvation. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> or like the first, what I was really going to say is the first time I learned the real story of Little Mermaid and like every time Ariel takes a step, it's like walking on uh, knife blades. It, like what? How did these stories become stories for kids? A lot of, what I find with fairy tales is where we go back into the origin of them and we find out, you know, like the darker story behind the Disney version is that, or, you know, like the, the family-friendly version, because I know they're not all Disney. Um, but, you know, what we really find is tales that are moralistic, that are trying to tell us and decide for us, like, between right and wrong, but also tales that very much represent the times. And so when we look at Hansel and Gretel, we're looking at a time period in Germany where there was a famine. And so there is a very stark reality of, like, people were dying of starvation, and that's kind of where the story revolves around and comes from. But... More to the point of this podcast, I wanted to talk about them, not just because I'm obsessed and I think it's just so cool to learn the real stories, but because I want to talk about witches, because that is a running theme, is it not? And you know, a lot of these stories I have come to find out and have read about and learned about that a lot of them do tie into periods of witch trials. I know we have talked 
at length about that. If you look back at last um, October, I did three episodes. I think it's like six or seven hours worth of content. I talked and talked and talked and talked about pretty much the origins of witches from biblical times to today, <laughs> where we're all here listening together. But yeah, witch trials were definitely a determining factor in these folklore that sprung up in these tales. And really, I'm sure I'll get into it more as the podcast goes on. But looking at women that, again, were deemed outsiders because they were older, because they lived alone, because maybe they were some kind of, uh, I don't want to say the word doctor, but some kind of curative person or a healer where you could go and get you know, a poultice, a, a bandage, a medicine, a concoction, a potion, a lotion, a ritual, whatever it may be. And so people sought that out. Or it was people that simply may have had, women that simply may have had mental illness and so they were different from society or women that had a disfigurement in some way. And when I say disfigurement, I mean something as simple as a beauty mark or a birthmark. I have hyperpigmentation, you know, so I'm sure they would have been like, witch, for sure. Um, but yeah, it could be something as simple as that. Just anything that made you stand out from the crowd. And and if you were a woman, nine times out of ten. Although definitely men were persecuted as well. We learned about that last year. <laughs> I feel like I'm like going through my syllabus for all of our, our lessons and history lessons, which three lessons. But yeah, I, I want to take another look at that and how women have been villainized and how witches have been villainized. And we know for us, it's like we so dwell in this place of love and beauty and positive magic and healing people and, and helping people and how to present day, I think that has been fixed sort of. It's not as demeaning and derogatory to be called a witch as it once was, although some people still use it in a nasty context. But yeah, I just, I want to talk about fairy tales, the real versions of fairy tales and fairy tale, even that word fairy tale, it like invokes something in me. I don't know. But yeah, I want to talk about fairy tales, the real stories behind those fairy tales. And maybe like, if we can get into a little bit of historical connection and um, witches, and we look at the old witch in Hansel and Gretel that's putting kids in the oven because mm, I just want to eat them up. And we look at the sea witch in uh, The Little Mermaid and we look at, well, in Cinderella, I actually have to go and dig a little deeper in that story. Because I know about like the sister. Okay, I see. I don't want to get too excited and tell you the whole story right now. But when I think of the good fairy and Cinderella, the bibbidi bobbidi boo of it all, you know, definitely a witch, obviously. But um, that's a very positive portrayal. And we get to like the Disney media. But in the story, I have to go back and refresh that one because that's one of the ones I'm not as familiar with. But yeah, I thought we could do Hansel and Gretel, we could do Little Mermaid, we could do uh, Rapunzel, another case of a witch. Hi, witch in the tower, locking up girls. And um, we can talk about Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, I think, because there's a witch present, Maleficent, one of the badasses, badasses, <laughs> one of the most badass, badass, I don't know what I'm trying to say, witches of all time. I love Maleficent, you know, when that um, movie came out, I was like a little disappointed. <laughs> I share on the podcast, because I think this predates the podcast, so I was like a little disappointed that she wasn't just messing stuff up the whole time and like coming for everyone. <laughs> But I do love her, and so I want to look at that too. So maybe we can do those five stories. I don't know if that's going to be too long. But Hansel and Gretel, I definitely want to do because of the witch in the oven. And that's still something that is very present in like modern tellings of the story. And I definitely want to do Little Mermaid because Ursula, the Ursula of it all. Now, is she Ursula as we know her in Disney again in those stories? No, but 
I just love her. See which to see which, I just love her. So yeah, that's what we're going to be doing today. And it's just something a little different. I wanted to do this for Halloween this year for Salon. I thought it'd be fun to, you know, do something witchery itch again. So that is the episode today. I mean, that's not the episode, but it's going to be the episode. I do want to say real quick, if you're in the Facebook group, we, I had a little incident with a now former member uh, as I'm, as of recording. And, uh, I'm going to go into the whole thing. Basically she was just out of pocket with me and I responded as graciously as I could. And I am saying all that to say, I, especially on Samhain, like our most special of days, I just want to say how much I love all of you and how much I respect all of you and how happy I am that this has brought us all together. You know, one of my friends texted me and she's like, I love seeing how, the baddies like step up to bat for you and how they really have your back. And I was like, listen, if there's one thing I know in this world is that the baddies do not play about me. Like y'all have my back. Y'all support me. Y'all love me. You support this podcast. You love this podcast. And I love and cherish all of you so much. And I just want to make sure that you all know that this has been a really, really hard year. 2020 has been kicking our asses. Mercury retrograde. <laughs> Honestly, bless her heart. Like I don't think it was just me because she, the, the person that contacted me, she said that it was something that had been bothering her like since the spring. I said something that did not sit well with her. Uh, the, she had some accusations about, but we're not going to say all that. Um, and then she messaged me in October about it. So bless her heart. I honestly think she might have something going on. I think it could be a culmination of a lot of things this year. Mercury retrograde. It definitely felt like a Mercury retrograde kind of message. Uh, and she just kind of vomited that out on me. And so I can't, I can't even really like have anything bad towards her because I feel like there she might just be dealing with other stuff and I get that. So yeah, 2020 has been a hard year. Mercury and retrograde has been <laughs> what it is. You know, it hasn't been the worst for me personally, except for that little interaction. But I know for some of us, it can be brutal and it kind of, sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's worse. So yeah, I just want to say how much I deeply appreciate all of you, how much I love you, how much you deserve good. Like it cannot be said enough. You are all phenomenal people. You're all phenomenal witches. No matter where you are in your journey, I am proud of you. And I am so proud to call you my baddies. And I'm so proud to be your mama. <laughs> or however you see me. Your mom, your sister, your auntie, your friend, your mentor. Like whatever you want to call me, however you see me. I'm just really honored that you're here and that you felt that kind of kindred spirit connection with me. So thank you so much. I love all of you. I know y'all do not play when it comes to me. Like I said, y'all, y'all are ready to go to bat for me and I appreciate that so much. So yeah, I just wanted to pause and say that real quick because, um, really like it means, it means so much to me. And I hope that not just in regards to me, like we are that for each other. I have y'all's back. I've always told y'all that. And we have each other's back. So, you know, let's just continue to protect each other and love each other and support each other and shield each other because we all deserve good. And this year has thrown enough stuff at us to last us one lifetime. Okay, so before we dig into another, like, can you get to the fairy tales we're running? <laughs> oh, also, I wanted to say, okay, I wanted to put up a poll about this episode to be like, is this something y'all would be interested in? But then I didn't want to spoil it. And I know a lot of us are really like-minded, so I feel like some people may already know all the real stories. And so I, I'm sorry to repeat them, but I will say 
for me personally, I hope it's the same for you. I love hearing them again. I don't know why every it's like picking up an old book, old book of fairy tales, even that you loved as a kid. It's just so fun to revisit them. So if this is your first time hearing them, I'm really excited to be the one to get to share them with you. If it isn't, and you don't mind the repeating, awesome. <laughs> I know, we're all so similar, and so I'm sorry if I'm, like, throwing this out at you again. Um, but, yeah, before we get into the fairy tales, I did want to pull a card for Samhain, since, you know, it is upon us. And uh, just go through that for all of us real quick, and then I promise you, we'll do Patreon shoutouts, and then I promise you, after that, we will get into our fairy tales. So, let's see who wants to jump out. Oh, we also... Y'all let me know if you want to do this. I um, have been thinking I want to do a YouTube video about how I do my card reading so you can actually see the process. I know I did an episode. I mean, every YouTube video I've done, I've done, I've done an episode as well. <laughs> but if you would like to see that, let me know because I've been thinking that might be a fun new video to put out and we can kind of brush up on it together and revisit it. Okay. Ooh! Someone just jumped out of the deck. Okay, are we ready? I'm doing that thing where I'm pointing the card at the... You can't see me, but <laughs> you know her because she has been on the podcast before and I have shared her with you before. So we have Ishelle, Medicine Woman. You are a channel for divine healing power. Message from Ishelle. Commanding power is not the same as demanding it. Demanding comes from a childlike place akin to a tantrum based upon the fear that it might be withheld. Commanding is based upon the sure and steady spirit. Oh, sorry. Sure and steady knowledge that you are a part of the great spirit's grace and wisdom. You're a lightning rod that conducts the power. Simply connect to that power through unyielding clarity of your thought processes. Don't waver for a moment in your sure and steady decision to be a conduit of the power that already resides within you. Connect to an even bigger source and allow it to amplify your natural power. In this way, you're a steady connector of the infinite from the infinite and to the infinite. In other words, it's all spirit around you, through you and to whoever you're healing. And then these are the meanings of the card. You're a healer. You're being healed. The situation or and or your loved one is being healed. Honor your healing knowledge and abilities. Learn about healing. Teach the healing arts. Start or continue your healing practice. I mean, could we have a better card for Salon? I don't think so because it really is, you know, Samhain is the time that we connect with our ancestors, with the spirits around us, where the veil is the thinnest, where it is easier for us to make that connection and to be this just like lightning rod of magic and ability and healing and love and connection. And I also really, you know, my one of my favorite Samhain traditions, I think I told you all this last year, is putting the candles in the window so the spirits can like guide themselves home. Um, I love that. And so I love the imagery of this this medicine woman and this lightning and this light that's coming through you, outside of you, around you, and then emanating out to connect with the spirit, to guide the spirit, to have the spirit guide you, and to just be this power rod. Because when are we more powerful than Samhain? Oh, I love her. Thank you so much for coming out, Michelle. That was really beautiful. And I hope that message resonated with all of you. You know, I've been doing... Oh, I meant to say this. Duh. I meant to say 10 things and I forget it the second I start recording. But I am doing $10 readings um, through the rest of December because I'm trying to raise money for some donations. You know, uh, what was the last one we made? We did Greater Baton Rouge Food Bank, and I have a few more on my list. I'm kind of watching the election, you know what I mean, um, to see where I want to dedicate my money and will be of the most benefit. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely do Food Bank again because food banks are so essential, especially in this pandemic. People are... 
relying on them already. And now we have so many people that have never used them before that are turning up and in need. And so I just want to make sure people can, especially with the holidays coming, can get what they want and what they need for their families and their kids and everything. So yeah, uh, if you feel also compelled to donate to your local food bank, that would be amazing. And if you just want to do a $10 reading with me, um, DM me and we can do one and I do a full three card reading and yeah, it's all going to a really special place. So it shells here. We have our message for salad. We are light and magic and energy and the spirits here and the spirits there. We're connected to the spirit and it's all beautiful. I'm so thankful that she came out and I'm so thankful she had that message for us. And I hope you're feeling that power charging through you too, because by the time Saturday and that full moon gets here, it's just, you know, <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Um, I have been really feeling like my healer oats in the past month since I've been doing these $10 readings because there's just been so many times where people have told me, this is such a relief to me. This makes me feel good. This is what I needed to hear. And so that is how I express my healing a lot. And it's a great way to do it um, without having to interact with people face to face, which, you know, isn't really safe right now. So I would encourage anyone else that's a reader too. That's a great way for you to uh, connect. If you want to do low cost, I think it's a great month to do it. I know we only have one week left, but <laughs> a little late on uh, giving this idea out, but <laughs> I think it's great. If we can all just find ways to heal our neighbors and also heal ourselves and you know that we're always kind of a work in process. So yeah, I really appreciate Michelle's coming out. So let's do our Patreon shout outs. Is there anything else I wanted to announce up top? Yes. There's like 30 people in line for the Facebook group. Okay, listen, I don't want to <laughs> I've always been really trying to keep the safe, the space super safe and protected. So you have to write the answer for me to let you in. The answer is the craft. And I'm so sorry if you're just like starting to listen to this, even though you won't hear this yet, obviously for 70 weeks. Um, well, not 70 weeks. You won't listen one week at a time. But for quite a while, you won't hear this. And I know for like many episodes at the start, we didn't have a group. So you don't know the answer yet. But if you're listening to this, the answer is the craft. The craft. The old craft. The real one, not this newfangled one, because I haven't seen it yet. So I don't know how I feel about it yet, but the craft is the answer. Um, and I also will accept Flubber, Blubber. I can't remember what else. I think those were the other, other other ones I would say. But yeah, the craft is the answer. So come, if you've already uh, requested to join, you can totally just add the answer in. No problem. You don't have to, re, uh, you don't have to reapply. What's the word? Resubmit yourself. I will let you in right then. So yeah, the craft. Okay. Let's do our Patreon shout outs, our Samhain shout outs, and then we are going to get into our spooky fairy tales. Okay, and four days later, I'm back <laughs> to finish recording. I have been very busy. Um, I Remember they used to always sell those like thermoses everyone's buying for a while in like 2015? It's like, I'm very busy. That I feel like I need one. Um, basically just filming YouTube videos takes a ton of time and I'm doing my visa application. It takes like three hours to film a one hour video after you like get in everything, which I didn't know when I started, but we're going to stick with it. Um, I've been doing my visa application. You have to have like 15 different steps and things to fill out and notarize. And, um, I started another job. So it's just a lot going on. So sorry. I, mean, I don't know why I'm saying sorry. You're still going to get your episode. I'm putting it out on um, Halloween Eve. I decided cause I got a little backed up. So sorry about that. But, um, yeah, sorry to myself that I'm so busy. <laughs> I told my friends, like, I'm busier, but I'm not richer, so I'm not doing something right. Like, something's not adding up. But, yeah, it's just been crazy around here. Anyway, so let's do our Patreon shout-outs. 
Um, we have a few new people that are signing up, so I will put you in the I will put you in the front of the list. For, is that what I'm trying to say for the next episode? But let's uh, finish out our October babes now. So very special thank you to Michelle, darling. I hope you're doing well. Uh, Celine, Jamie, Kristen, Stephanie, Carly, Bree, Cassandra, Adam, Kelly, Kimberly, Sarah, Emily, Nalling, Heidi, Garrisu, Lena, Kasha, Fiona, Aiden, Brandy, Tabby, Lily, Kim. Teresa, Gina, Sarah, Teresa, uh, Teresa, M, Teresa S, Adrian, Vanessa, Jen, Allison, Sasha, Brett, Jennifer, Megan, Elizabeth, Catherine, Shannon, Carla, Amanda, and Maria. Okay, if I messed up your name, I'm so sorry. I'm recording without my glasses on because I do not know where they are. But you know I love you. You know you keep the lights on for this podcast. You know that Oh, y'all, it's just, I'm, I'm kind of stressed out. I mean, obviously we're all stressed out. It's 2020 and Mercury retrograde and my Mercury retrograde waited like a week and a half to kick in and start like really kicking my butt, but now it's here. Um, yeah. So all of you that are on Patreon, it means so much to me because it also helps me with my visa application. So it's like even, it's even like a more monumental thing that you donate every month. So thank you so much. Okay. So we're going to start with the story of Hansel and Gretel. Because it's, number one, one of my best friends is Brett, who listens to this podcast, and I call him Brettle, and so it makes me think of him. I'm crazy today. What else is new? But also, I want to start with Hansel and Gretel, because, I don't know, going back and rereading this story, these stories, oh, and another disclaimer, so I'm going to be going with the versions that I have learned of, because like I was saying before, these stories very much come from an oral tradition, they come from different languages, you know, we have French bases for these stories, German bases, Russian bases. Wow. Um, you know, just scattered all over the globe. There are going to be different official original versions before we even get to these Disney family friendly, except the mom's never there. That's pretty anti-feminist versions. I mean, I'm not going to start on Disney. I know there's (laughs) Disney people that listen to this podcast. I don't want to drag Disney. I mean, I could, I could drag Disney. Uh, I won't, I won't. I'll I'll save it for something else. Mostly, I would just drag them for like Disney World being open in a global pandemic, but I we we don't have to go there. I've said a lot about that already. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of official original versions too. And when we're dealing with translations from the original text, obviously words get mistranslated, certain parts of it get lost, things get adjusted to the culture that they're being presented in. So I will be telling the versions that I am the most familiar with. If you know another version, I would love for you to share it with the group. I am I saying version or virgin because it sounds. <laughs> I said virgin. If you know another version, I would love for you to share it with the group. But they definitely all kind of have the same similarities, the same basis. But I know in some cases, people have different names and there's different locations. And this is like the main, you know, Hansel and Gretel, I was doing my research and I was reading yet another version of it. I was going to say the word version. And instead of a witch in the woods, it was a demon in the woods. Um, so yeah, there, there will just be differences. And so if you know a different one, please, I would love to hear the one that you grew up with or your great granny told you or that you read about in school one day and you're like, Ooh, this is the one I like. Um, so disclaimer. Okay. So we're gonna go into Hansel and Gretel because not only does it remind me of Hansel and Gretel, but because it's just really been stuck in my mind since I went back and went over it. And I think it's because I am obsessed with this idea of the crone. And I know that People think I'm kind of joking when I say that, but no, we are in the season of the crone. We are coming into this full moon right now. And I'm not kidding when I say I can't wait to get to that stage of my life. I cannot wait until I am old. Can I tell you I'm starting to get gray hairs? 
<sighs> can't even talk about it. Um, okay, actually, I can't talk about it, but just for a second. <laughs> I feel a little shook because I'm only 33, but also my mom started graying at 19. And obviously, this year is trying to kill all of us. <laughs> like, So I'm not surprised. It's been a very stressful year, you know, between the pandemic and um, my dad going through all that stuff and kind of being, you know, on pins and needles, seeing if anything's going to pop back up with that and me trying to move. So it's been a lot. So I'm starting to go gray. But the upside of this, the you deserve good side of this is that now I won't have to bleach my hair anymore when I want to dye it yellow. So I am excited about that. Okay, anyway. So but really, I am excited about getting to this chrome part of my life to just be out in nature, have a little cabin or a chalet. I don't know what a chalet is, even though I lived in France. Um, but you know, something that sounds uh, bucolic and just be around flowers and have my own bees and make my own honey. And I'm really am kind of obsessed with the idea of the crone and being a bit of a medicine woman and being a bit of a healer that people can seek out. I don't know. I just, that is my favorite version. <laughs> the secret word for this episode is version. Hi. Uh, if you were playing a drinking game for Halloween, that's your word. But don't, don't do that. Don't get drunk because you'll be wasted by the times I've said it. Um, but that is my favorite archetype of the witch like I okay yeah I'm, I'm here for the the young fresh-faced witch and I'm here with ingenue if you will and the mother which is beautiful and obviously I am the mother of baddies and I love all of you but I I love this idea of being mature and settled and really using your magic that you've cultivated over time and your potions and your spells and your rituals to help other people and not that you can in all these other phases but I feel like there's a maturity and a settledness that comes with being a crone where you're just like let me do what I do I got this down I know what I'm doing oh this honey right here I grew it myself or cold, whatever. I drink. What, how do you get honey? <laughs> I raised the bees myself. Let's say that. So yeah, I really am kind of obsessed with this. And there is some, I don't know if it was like a tweet or something I saw once about the story of Hansel and Gretel and how it should actually, sorry, I, I'm getting so excited because I've been wanting to do this episode for a while. And also because I was a lit, lit major, so this is really like my wheelhouse. But you know, my one of my favorite books growing up was the real story of the three little pigs and uh, how the wolf was, you know, he was framed, like he was innocent the whole time and these pigs were actually awful. And so I kind of like that reversing of stories and seeing other sides of fairy tales and um, other characters and what their motives may have been. I just think it's so cool. I used to love that when I was a kid. And clearly as an adult. And so I do, I saw this tweet once that was like, oh, the real framing of Hansel and Gretel should be like, um, old, which finally builds dream house and neighborhood children come and destroy it and disturb her peace. <laughs> I love that version of it. Like, yeah, as someone who is very into getting to her chrome stage, someone who is very child free and wants to like have peace in her life and not just be surrounded by tons of kids that are going to come and like disturb my, my bucolic existence. I love that. I'd be like, <laughs> building my dream house out of sweets. These kids come and terrorize it. I defend my home and, you know, punish these kids for coming from my house. And all of a sudden I'm the bad guy. <laughs> so I love that. That always sticks with me. Sticks with me. So that's why I wanted to start with Hansel and Gretel. So here is the actual story. So with Hansel and Gretel, the meat of the story is kind of the same. Like we have the two kids in the woods. We have the sweet house. I always think of it as like a gingerbread house. Ooh, I really wanted gingerbread. Sorry. I love gingerbread. <laughs> and, um, you know, the witch takes them in and then kind of punishes them for eating off of the house and then they throw her into the oven. You know, as a punishment for breaking and entering, I guess they also murder her. Fine. <laughs> but here is the full-fledged out darker version. 
So we have um, these two parents. We have a woodcutter father in most versions, and then we have the mother. And uh, they are starving. There is no food to go around. There is in the midst of a panic, or at least reflecting a time of a, did I say panic? Of a famine. And so the mother decides that, and again, <laughs> patriarchy coming through. The mother decides that they are going to simply have to lead the children into the woods to starve there, to fend for themselves because they eat too much. And the father is like, no, like we had these kids, so we should probably find a way to, you know, take care of them or at least nurse them through whatever horrors we're experiencing in this family. And the mom's like, no, 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 like, listen, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> like perseverance of, or survival of the fittest, you got to do what you got to do. These kids got to get out of here, which is a take. So uh, the son, Hansel, is peeping game. He's like ear hustling around the house. And he's like, listen, I'm going to go outside and get some white stones because you, are got, you guys are not going to catch me up. Like, it's not going to go down like this. So he gets the white stones. And then the next morning, the parents are like, hey, let's go in the woods. Well, like a hike, you know. And the kids are like, cool, cool, cool. But secretly, like they knew they could find their way back. So the parents lead them into the woods. And the whole way our man Hansel is dropping these stones so that they can find their way home. The parents tell them to sit and to make a fire and they're going to go gather more wood and come right back. Uh, twist. They don't. They just abandon their kids. Again, at the persistence of the mother. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, because of the stones that Hansel has put down, the moonlight reflects off of them. <clears throat> Here goes my voice. And they are able to go back home. They turn up. Dad is like, oh, great. You know, we shouldn't have left you in the first place. Is a sign you should be with us. And mom's like, listen, didn't I tell you to get out of here? <laughs> like, why are you back? So again, she insists that they have to take them deeper into the woods this time so that they can starve to death in the woods. Hi, I should put a trigger warning on this. We're going to talk about some sensitive topics involving children. So, you know, but when I said Hansel and Gretel, I'm sure you already knew that. So the next day, Hansel gathers some bread and he's like, we're not falling for this. We're going to keep coming home. <laughs> So the parents now walk them even deeper into these winding, dark, misty, Halloween-y looking woods, and Hansel has dropped all of his breadcrumbs. Unfortunately, breadcrumbs are delicious to birdies, and so while he's laying out this plan to get home, all the birds are like, mm, thanks so much for the snack. So they can't find their way home. The parents again are like, hey, build a fire. I know we said we were, we're going to come back, and we did it yesterday, but like, no, this time we're going to come back. Obviously, they don't. They go home. So Hansel and Greta are now stuck in these, they remind me of like the woods. I'm getting a vision of like the woods in Beauty and the Beast for some reason. Isn't there like the castles in the middle of like this big thicket? Of, I don't know. <laughs> but that's just what's popping in my head. So imagine that. This is not sponsored by Disney, by the way. <laughs> so they are walking around the forest three, four, five days and they come across this beautiful house covered in sweets and it looks so warm and inviting again gingerbread house um style and I know like in the depictions I've seen especially with like, being a kid of like the late 80s 90s it was always like lollipops gummy bears gumdrops but this was really more like sweet bread sweet treats in that vein so yeah think gingerbread house icing putting it together caulking everything and so they're like okay good is this the most nutritious thing to eat no but are we gonna survive yes so they start mm, eating up the house and out comes this kindly old lady oh my poor darlings i'm so glad you found this house please come in and i'll give you milk and fruit and bread and you'll be fine so they go into the house 
surprise, it's a witch, duh, because kindly old women just can't live in the forest and mind their business. <laughs> it has to be something sinister. And not only is she a witch, but she's a witch that built this house to lure children to eat them because, you know, that's, that's our MO. So she starts putting Hansel, I mean, Gretel, Gretel steps in now, starts putting Gretel to work around the house. She has to clean, she has to sweep, she has to tend to a chicken coop. Now the chicken coop, and the, the versions that I always grew up with, it was Hansel was put in a cage. Uh, in this version, it's that Hansel was put into a chicken coop. And um, she was basically like, listen, I'm going to fatten you up. You shouldn't come and eat in my sweet house if you didn't want to get fattened up so I can eat you so you'll be delicious, which is just such a layer of like, which is eating children. Not only do we crave children and the blood of children, apparently, but also we want them to be like Thanksgiving turkeys. Like what? It's so crazy. And it's so anti-feminism and it's so anti-witch. It just, oh my goodness. Okay. So now it's Gretel's turn to peep game and ear hustle around the house and be like, listen, here's the plan. I'm going to, you take one of these chicken bones. I, uh, that she's, cause she's, you know, stuffing him and you're going to stick it out cause the witch is blind. So not only are we, uh, destroying this woman's home, but she has a very, you know, noticeable disability because she's elderly. And, uh, we're going to stick this chicken bone out of the chicken coop when she comes to see how you're feeling. So she's like, oh, you're not gaining enough weight. And obviously I can't eat you until you're plump and delicious. So <laughs> they keep sticking out this chicken bone. Hansel does. Gretel's still like sweeping around. They're plotting on this witch. I really am like pro witch. <laughs> obviously I don't want anything to happen to the kids. The true villain in the story is the mother, which again, we can have a whole conversation about but I'm, I, I like the witch. I'm for a witch. Because I want to dream build my dream house and I have kids come eat it up. But I wouldn't build it to lure them, just to be clear. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she's eventually like, listen, we're going to we're gonna eat this kid. He, It's no way that it's taking this long. Like, she kind of figures out what's going on. And so she opens the oven. She's checking the fire. Do they have ovens in the 13 or 1400 or would be kind of like a stove pipe situation? I don't know. But she's basically checking it to make sure it's warm enough. Well, she sends Gretel over and she's like, check that and make sure it's warm. And Gretel's like, oh, I got you. So she's like, no, I don't know what's happening with it. Like, it doesn't, it's not warming up. So the witch comes over and she's like, I have to do everything around here. Like, you kids showed up. You're in my house now. And she bends over to check and uh, Gretel boots her into the oven, closes the door. The witch is now cooked alive. She gets her brother out of his chicken coop cage. They then find, oh, sorry. I skipped a very important part. Um, the witch is just hoarding treasure <laughs> because apparently the witch is a billionaire in 2020. So, uh, yeah, another trope about witches is that we hoard wealth, we hoard resources, we hoard knowledge. Another thing that people couldn't stand were these women that were successful on their own. They had money without needing to have a husband or a family to take care of them. So of course we had to include that in there. So they go and ransack her house of all of her treasures that she has accumulated over the years, probably by helping people and doing spell work and rituals. And they find their way back to the home <clears throat> after so many months or perhaps years of this. And their woodcutter father is still alive. And they're like, father, we've saved everything. We've killed this witch and we've stolen her money. <laughs> Just saying it sounds crazy. And now we're rich and we won't have to worry about the famine or anything that befalls our family. And also, oh, the mother's dead. Like, that's the postscript. <laughs> no, this is what happened to the mother. The mother gets to redeem herself in any way. The mother gets to live with, like, the choices she makes when her children return home. And there's a lesson in that. No, the mother's just dead. Like all Disney stories, dead mom. Okay, so moving on. So, yeah, that's the story of Hansel and Gretel. <clears throat> and I do... 
So like I said, I do find it really interesting that to me, the witch is not necessarily the villain. You know, it's kind of the kids are up to something. The witch is up to something. We both can kind of chill out on either side of this. But the true villain of Hansel and Gretel is the mother. And it is reflective of this time of women being persecuted and mistrusted and seen in this villainous role. And, you know, kind of the ultimate way that you can show a woman is a villain or a bad person is to show her neglecting her children in a sense of like society. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I won't say I think there's worse things you can do, but I think there's a lot of ways that you can show someone's character to not be good or pure or genuine. Um, but to a lot of people, that is like the ultimate way of her being like, we got to get these kids out of here. We cannot afford to feed them. They are eating too much. Like they're seven and eight now. So they got this, you know? So I do think it's really interesting. And again, we have to frame this in like in the time in Germany when the brothers Grimm, I wonder if they liked being called that or if they were called that in contemporary. I don't know. Well, you have these Grimm, these Grimm brothers that are writing these stories and really like committing these oral stories to paper. Um, you know, we are in the midst of like these German witch trials. We are in the midst of this German famine. And the thing you have to always also connect is when things like famines, loss of crops, disease would sweep through these areas. You know, we had also in Salem, witches were blamed. It was, hey, let's check out this old woman who lives off of society by herself, who's like sustaining herself. What's that all about? I bet that she cursed this entire town. Or, you know, oh, look at this mother who we thought was such a good mother and us. Uh, you know, people, women would be blamed for their own, not so different from today. And I will say trigger warning real quick. I'm going to talk about um, pregnancy and pregnancy loss. But women would be blamed for, you know, miscarrying or women would be blamed for having a child with a birth defect or women would be blamed for, um, you know, having a child that did not survive birth or live very long. And people would a lot of the time associate that with witchcraft. She, witchcraft or sin, she has done something to hurt this, this innocent life or she is a sinner and this is her being smited. <laughs> so it does not surprise me that on opposite sides of this, we have a mother figure and we have a crone figure, but they're both the villain. <laughs> like, okay. And Gretel is the only, I guess, female character who can be seen as somewhat good, but ultimately she kills the witch too. So she is she the hero or like, is she contributing to this culture of like women, women equals bad. So yeah, we have the famine, we have the witch trials, and we have this positioning of women where even the mother can be kind of seen in a witch archetype as well. So that is the story of Hansel and Gretel, and that is my analysis of it. <laughs> I just, it's something that's really been sticking with me lately, this idea of how women can be villainized no matter what where they're coming from. And of course the father did not, he did not want to send his children off, but the, the wife insisted, which like, even in 2020, how much do we have like these very toxic masculinity men that put their foot down? Like that means anything. And they are the head of the household and the woman is the neck and don't, I can't even get started in that. <laughs> but, but now in this story, this man who is, you know, 13, 1400s again, Europe, is just like, okay, wife, you're right. Let's lead our children to their ultimate death. What? Anyway, so um, this story is about the patriarchy. <laughs> and if we, re if we were to look at it from another way, 
Maybe this witch was just trying. Maybe she built a house full of sweets and outside because that's what she always wanted. I love gingerbread houses. I would love to live in a little cottage that resembles a gingerbread house. And I do want to have my own honey outside and grow my own lavender. And if people come and pillage it, I'm going to have a problem with it, okay? So maybe that's what her goal was the whole time was to have a nice retirement. And here comes these kids chomping away at her house. It's <laughs> another perspective. I will look at it as, but yeah, that's the story of Hansel and Gretel. That's my analysis of it, uh, including the crone archetype and the mother witch archetype to an extent and how it is influenced by the events that were going around when we have the German witch trials and the famine. So let's do my favorite Disney movie next, which is The Little Mermaid. I think it's a Pisces, Cancer, Scorpio thing. This is the first movie I ever saw in theaters when I was a little bebe. And I have always loved it. It's, I think it's so good. I don't know if I could just, <clears throat> if I couldn't live as an old crone in the forest with my flowers and my bees, I would want to just live underwater. <laughs> I want to be a mermaid. Um, <clears throat> sometimes I feel very slighted in life that I wasn't born a mermaid. And if I could choose and if mermaids were real, which I like low key, I think they are. Um, I would want to be a mermaid. I think it's an amazing existence. And I love this movie so much. I'm not a Disney head. I actually haven't seen anything since... Oh my gosh. I don't know. It might be like Pocahontas, <laughs> like 1997 or Mulan maybe. Or what year? I don't know. We don't have time for this. Um, but I do love The Little Mermaid. I think Prince, Her Prince Eric is the hottest Disney prince. I will not debate about this. This is a fact coming out of my mouth right now. Everything else is up for debate that I say. Like we can talk about it. But prince Eric being the hottest Disney prince is straight facts. He's gorgeous. Um, second runner, runner up. No one. He's the hot. I, like, yeah, that's what I want. Um, that's like my dream guy, actually. <laughs> Tall, dark hair, uh, beautiful eyes, a seafaring nature. I love him. And I love Ursula. I, you know, because I saw the movie for someone, I was like two, three. I obviously didn't have a concept of her being a witch for a long time, especially because she is humanoid. Uh, well, I guess a mermaid is as well. But I didn't, I just thought she was so fierce and just charming and seductive and electric literally and <laughs> she has those eels um oh yeah floats them and jets them love them they're creepy crawlers I really enjoy them as well I love gully I love I love all of them um but yeah I just thought there was something so beguiling about her and like you root for little mermaid for Ariel I should use her name you root for Ariel she's beautiful she has this lovely voice part of your world is the best Disney song it is gorgeous second runner up would obviously be once upon a dream Oh, and uh, I'll Make a Man of You is amazing also, but we're not going to talk about Mulan today. Oh, and Reflections. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> but, uh, Ariel has a beautiful voice. She's this gorgeous redhead. She's a mermaid. She's everything you'd ever want to be. Uh, but I love Ursula because to me, she is the star. <clears throat> like, you have this lovely little mermaid. Great. But Ursula is, she's bodacious. I, she's just so amazing. And she's also my, I mean, I know there can also be a discussion to be had about like the queer coding of villains in movies, especially in Disney movies. Hi, let's talk about Scar for a second, shall we? But Ursula really was the first like concept of queerness that I ever had. And if you don't know, she is based in part on Divine, the legendary drag queen who was in many John Waters movies. Um, she is Edna, Edna Blatt. Is that their last name? Platt? Blatt? And um, Hairspray. And she's a couple other characters too when she's not in drag. Uh, but yeah, she was my first idea of queerness. And I just remember being like, whatever this is, I'm into this. I I love this larger than lifeness. And it's kind of funny that she ends up larger than life. And also Ursula to me is the only Disney villain that is legitimately scary. 
when she blows up at the well when she grows to that huge size at the end size at the end and her eyes are like lighting it out there's lightning striking and everything and she's growing 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 and they drive the ship into her again another witch murder but like we'll come back to it I don't love that I remember even today like it kind of is very scary to see that imagery of how big and scary and and light filled that she gets and then the way it penetrates her skin and she dies it's kind of I like give you the shivers a little bit. But as a kid, that legitimately scared me. And there's no other moment in a Disney movie I can think of that like affected me the way that that is. Maybe Maleficent when she turns into the dragon. But that animation is a lot older. So it doesn't look as fierce and vibrant maybe. I don't know. This whole spiel to say Little Mermaid is my favorite Disney movie. It's the first one I ever saw. And I think it's better than Lion King. I'm gonna just walk in my truth for a second and say that. And Ursula is a badass. <laughs> She is a true bad witch in the sense of being like, yeah, she is everything. So the real version of the little, so in The Little Mermaid, Ariel goes and saves Prince Harris from dying. He sees her. He's like, I got to find this girl. She's like, daddy, I love him. I have to go be part of his world, which we're going to examine this in the other version. Um, I think it's Hank Christian Anderson's version. We're going to explore this. But I always did, as I was starting to get older, have an issue with Ariel giving up being a mythical mermaid to be with a man on earth, like on the, the top level on, on land. That's what it is. <laughs> it's like topsoil on land. Again, my feminism was like, I don't know if I would give up this mythical existence of being a literal mermaid princess to like be with a guy. Although Prince Eric is super hot and he had that really cute dog. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. But <laughs> So he's like, I gotta find this girl. I can't stop thinking about her. He's using the scope from the boat to see her. Ariel's like, I gotta go to the surface. I love this dude. I'm 16. I know what I'm talking about. Goes to Ursula. Urs this is the Disney version. Goes to Ursula. Ursula's like, okay, girl, uh, you can't speak. Give me a voice, but I'm gonna give you legs. So she goes to the castle. They uh, start falling in love with each other. Ursula's like, oh, I'm about to lose this bet. So Ursula then turns into this gorgeous, like, very Veronica of the Archie comics of this all character starts to kind of steal the prince away. The prince is being tricked by Ursula having uh, Ariel's voice around her neck. Then the voice, they like get into a kerfluffle. Necklace falls on the ground. Ariel's voice returns to her. He realizes, oh, you're the one I've been in love with all along. Ariel's all like, oh, or whatever. They're like going to get married. And then Ursula blows up and she's like, not today. And then they steer the boat into her and kill her, which is awful. And, uh, well, I guess, I mean, she was trying to ruin their happily ever after in that version. Uh, and then King Trian comes inside the boat. He's like, I love you. Go have human babies and be a human. It's fine. And the part always makes you cry. I think it's so sweet. And that is the Disney version. So, <laughs> whew, the hands Christian Anderson version. Ariel is, again, just going around the sea saving human men. I, I guess if I was a mermaid princess, I feel like there's better uses of my time. But again, Prince Eric is very hot. I don't think he is Eric in the uh, Hans Christian Anderson. Well, that name does not work with me. Hans Christian Anderson version. But I think because it's like a Danish tale and origin. Is it Danish? I think it is. It's like a Nordic tale and origin. They used Eric because it's like a prominent name and it's also like a royal name. So... Uh, yeah, she saves him, but he never sees her face. So it's not like he can make the connection again when he sees her and he's searching for her. So Ariel is still, or the Little Mermaid, she's still sprung. And she's like, I got to get this dude. Like, again, I'm 16 or she might be younger. Because, you know, in those stories, these story tales, like the princesses are always creepily young. They're like 12 and 13. But I guess when you only used to live to 35, like you had to make use of your time. So, oh, I'm almost 35. Huh. 
That's where I'm getting gray hair. <laughs> uh, so Ariel is like, I got to have this man. I got to be a human. Like, this is my destiny. So she goes to the sea witch, who I believe in Hans Christian, HCA, we're going to use that. Uh, she is not also named. She's not prominent in the way that she is in the movie. Obviously, they really took this Ursula character. And I, I love the name Ursula as a side note so much. Like, I'm using it in one of my books. I love it that much. But Ursula actually derives from like Ursa bear. So I'm not really sure why they went with that for her and so not, not, and didn't try to do something more CE, but Ursula, I love that name. But yeah, she goes to sea witch and she's like, listen, what, what can we do? I got it. I got to get this guy. And the sea witch is like, cool girl. Um, okay. So give me your tongue. You won't be able to talk or seduce him with your voice because you know, men love talking. Their favorite thing <laughs> It's a woman that talks a lot. And I'm talking from personal experience. Being really chatty has done really well for me with dating. But she's like, give me your tongue. I will give you legs. And Ariel's like, cool. Give me some good gams. I want to show them off. I'm going to seduce and lure this man in a very innocent way because, again, I'm like 14. So she gets her legs. She goes up to the surface. Here are the caveats. <laughs> One, the prince, again, does not recognize her because he never saw the woman that saved his life. Hold on to that. That's important. Two, every step that Ariel, or I don't know if she's Ariel in the story, the little mermaid takes with her legs. It feels like she is stepping on the tips of knife blades. So <laughs> she's constantly in excruciating pain, constantly. So, oh, and also there's another caveat. Uh, she has to make sure the prince falls in love with her or she will die. So when we're talking about, uh, you know, all or nothing, <laughs> it's literally like she is risking her life to be with this man. Also is going through excruciating pain to be with this man. Anybody, can anybody else relate? I, you know, so I just, I haven't met a guy yet that's worth all of that. And even in my Bill Scar, Scar days, I'd probably just be like, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just marry a shark. Like I don't have to go through all this. So, uh, yeah. So obviously the prince not recognizing her and her not having her voice, which is, you know, we have to have Disney songs. So it's way more of a plot point in the movies. Uh, he does not fall in love with her because he, who is this woman that's just like turning up? I don't know who you are. I know you saved my, I don't know that you saved my life and I guess I'm ungrateful. <laughs> so I haven't done anything to recognize you, fall in love with you, save your life. So then there is another caveat, which is, okay, well, oh, so let's end that part of the story. There's no happily ever after in the story by any means. Uh, the prince falls in love with another woman who he assumes is the woman that saved his life. <laughs> It's very much when you have done all the work on a guy and made him into a tolerable, attractive person, he breaks up with you and then the next woman gets to benefit from that or the next person they date gets to benefit from that and you get nothing out of it except like heartbreak and all of your blood, sweat and tears that you wasted. Yeah, it's very much that. She saved him. She risked her life. She's stepping on uh, knife points and needles every day. And he just marries like Princess B behind this curtain who he thinks did it or whatever. So, um... So she's going to die because he, he didn't fall in love with her. There's no true love's kiss. So then the witch is like, okay, here's the new tea. If you kill him, then you can live. You're not going to die and you'll get your finny fin fin back. And, you know, we can just reset this whole thing. He'll be dead. But, like, who cares because he didn't fall in love with you anyway because he's a buster, you know? So Ariel or Little Mermaid, whatever her name is. <laughs> also, I think this is a Danish tale with Eric and like the th the other things in the story that are, you know, details throughout, but also because the little mermaid statue is in Copenhagen. So that's why I'm saying it's Danish. I could be lying. Also Hans Christian Andersen, I'm pretty sure is like a Nordic Danish, Swedish something. That name's very Danish, Dan Danish, 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 a great Dane, if you will. So yeah, 
she, he's, they're like, just kill him. Like, what good has this done for you? You've been suffering. You can't talk. You are a sea princess. And now you're not down there anymore. I don't know if she's a princess, actually, a mermaid princess. But she's a mermaid. Better life than up here, if you ask me. A part of your world. Like, let's write the inverse of that. And just kill the dude. Whatever. <laughs> this is my version. I would be like, just dump him. You know? Like, what good has this done for you? Look at you're going to die, girl. Just dump him. Who cares? So... <laughs> Uh, she ultimately is like, I really do love him. Even though he didn't recognize me, he didn't fall in love with me. I love him and I can't kill him. I'll just, I'll, I'll deal with the consequences of this. So that is kind of her one redeeming action. And well, it's not her one redeeming action, but this is the thing that's kind of redeemed for her is that she is seen of being so pure of heart and so innocent and so good that instead of dying, <laughs> she gets this alternative. <clears throat> she is sent to purgatory. And her version of purgatory is that she will exist as sea foam for, I think it's a thousand years. She has to be sea foam. And then eventually she'll like go on into some concept of heaven. So uh, let to recap, falls, saves Prince's life, gets excruciating pain to get legs to become Prince. Oh, and also the like process of her getting her legs is like excruciating. It's like tearing through flesh, giving birth, kind of excruciating. Gets excruciating pain to get her legs. Steps on knives and needles the whole time. Prince falls in love with some other dummy. Because he's a dummy too. <laughs> he's so harsh. But you know. I've been there. Guy goes for the next girl. What have you two dummies done? But you deserve each other. So uh, never gets her true love's kiss or come to fall in love with her. She's going to die. Then they're like, well, no, no, no. You can kill him and then you'll be cool. And she's like, well, I'm 16 or 14 or whatever. And so I still think love and being in love with this one guy who will never be with me is the most important thing and life will never go on from here. So like, I'll just sacrifice myself and then has to be seen for a thousand years. Oh, and also in one version, I think she has to do like good acts somehow to like, how can you do good acts of seafoam? But it's like, she has to do like some kind of goodnesses along the way to earn her way out of purgatory so she can like go to heaven or to go to like some concept of a better place. <sighs> okay. So <laughs> the moral of this story is there are millions, if not billions, there's billions of men in this world. So just find another one. Don't, don't do all this. <laughs> you don't have to go through all this to be with one person. This person's not your soulmate. And even if there are, you can still find something that will fit you and suit you better. But let's talk about Ursula as the witch. So obviously we have this idea of like the trickster witch in this one a bit where it's, um, well, oh yeah, I'll, you know, give me your tongue, give me your voice. I'll give you legs. It's totally going to work, girl. Men are just really into legs. Like, don't worry about it. And ultimately the witch is aware in the HCA version that she's going to be going through this excruciating pain the whole time. And also probably has no aware of this, that this dude is not going to fall in love with you, but like good luck for this bargain that we have going on. Can't wait to pay back on that one. Um, and so, and then it's the idea of like the witch will ultimately kill her. So we have, you know, witch murdering children, Hansel and Gretel, witch mur murdering this innocent child again, in, uh, the little mermaid. And then we have this like, okay, well she kind of gets redeemed at the end because she has this penance that she can do <clears throat> as sea foam or whatever. Uh, but still this witch has ultimately promised her in a way that she can have this man that she wants in this life that she wants, but she's really tricking her to gain things that she wants, wants for herself. And we very much see that in the Disney version where Ursula not only is like giving her a bad deal, 
but then straight up just turns into her competition to seduce Prince Eric and it works. And not only does she, again, trickster, not only does she seduce Prince Eric, but she does it with not just her looks and her, her energy, but literally using Ariel's voice, the thing that he can like recognize and the most and things that she can kind of seduce him with. And she kind of uses it to hypnotize him in a way. So yeah, we, we just have these archetypes of a witch and I would I would put Ursula in the crone category because she to me appears older you know she is with the white hair and I don't know if this might just be a stylistic thing but her demeanor her face her hair her body build I think she does fit that crone archetype the being swaddled in black you know being gray skinned having these gray minions it's, it screams crone to me so again we have this concept that these older women that people are turning to for help, for spells, for rituals. She's really just oh, poor unfortunate. Sorry, poor unfortunate souls just came screaming into my ear. What a performance! What a moment! <laughs> so good. She's just so she's just saunters. I love a woman that saunters. Uh, but yeah, uh, we have this sea witch that is kind of in this crone position and people are turning to her, but she's not actually ever helping anyone. Where if we're looking at crones in society, if we're looking at these quote unquote hags in society, these were people that were helping, um, especially young women in ways that they didn't have any access to. And I know a lot of it had to do with like child, again, conception or like pregnancy. <clears throat> and there's a lot of relationship with witchcraft with that because it's something that only um, people with, female biological reproductive parts can participate in. And there is kind of, um, I think a, a bit of jealousy with men with that, you know, that women can do this and create this miracle of life. Well, not, we don't create it by ourselves, but you know, can harbor this miracle life, birth this miracle. And so it, there is something kind of like inherently witchy about that as well, that we can produce this whole being. And so, you know, when we'd have these in history, like real history, these young women going to these kind of medicine women out in these desolate locations to <clears throat> help with pregnancy, to help with conception, to encourage it or to end one. Um, you know, that was something that definitely is villainized and seen as inherent witchcraft. So <clears throat> my voice is definitely going on. I'm so sorry. Let me pause for a second. Okay, I'm back. Hopefully no, no more coffees. Uh, but yeah, Ursula, it, it's that position, that role that people would go to for help. And because these crone figures were helping other women, especially with pregnancy related stuff. I think, and pregnancy is such kind of like this, this ritualized miracle in its own right. I think that's why there's this extra suspicion about older women that they would go to for this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, we definitely see that position, obviously that Ursula is a sea witch. It's, she is a very definite kind of witch, you know, and I think that's also why I love her so much. She is represented as a sea creature. I mean, as a mermaid is, but like mermaids are something we definitely have in our mythology and in, in real life, like I think. Um, <laughs> and we look at Poseidon and I think he was actually represented as that kind of figure. But Ursula is this, her own kind of conception of like octopus meets lady. Also, she had that amazing bustier dress. She, she's everything. I just can't stop gushing about her. I love her so much. Um, but yeah, she is humanoid and she's a sea witch. And so she's this very particular kind of witch that we would see in mythologies throughout time that these were the kind of people that we would blame when ship shipwrecks would happen or people would be lost at sea. Oh, obviously it's sea witches. Obviously it's witches that are casting spells under the water. Um, you know, we, and especially if we're looking at Greek and Roman mythology, we have this Poseidon character. I can't remember what his name is in Roman mythology, 
But, you know, all throughout different cultures, all throughout different regions, we have sea deities and we have, um, like, Yamanya is also one, Yamaya, and we also have sea spirits and mythological creatures. We don't know what's dwelling down there, and that's why I think mermaids are legitimately real, because <laughs> down that darkness, we do not know. Do they look like Ariel? Probably not. They probably have, like, those lights that come off of them, like all those creatures down in the deep dark where there's some sunlight. <laughs> They're probably not gorgeous, but, uh, yeah, I mean... In the real word, world history of this would be that in these time periods, when these stories are being written, and mermaid sightings and Nessie sightings and creature sightings and all this stuff have been going on forever, we would have people that would have this idea of sea witches in particular that are cursing anything having to do with the water. And that is who they can blame again. And then we go back into witch trials because we're blaming women for everything. Which hasn't changed that much. Uh, but yeah, ships being lost, people lost at sea, cargo being lost, a bad storm, even all of that is obviously sea witch's fault. So it really is interesting that we have this idea of the sea witch in the story from this time period, and it gets translated into this early 90s version. And even though she does become very camp and flamboyant and fun and, and scintillating, I'm coming with so many good words to describe her. <laughs> um, you know, ultimately it is a reflection of witch bad. Crone, bad. Sea witch, bad. And those are are from our histories. You know, it traces down. So there's another bad witch for you. But in this case, she's like the baddest of them all. <laughs> all right, how much do we... Okay, we're at an hour. Um, I want to do one more. And then if y'all if y'all like this episode, tell me. Because I will do... Okay, so I have Little Red Riding Hood. I have Snow White. I have Sleeping Beauty. I have a list. Let me look at the list that I wrote down. Um, I have... Rapunzel, I have Cinderella. So I do have enough to do a second part of this episode if you like it. If you don't like it, then I don't have to do it. But tell me if you have are enjoying this like kind of um dark version of fairy tales, spooky fairy tale stories, plus like media analysis of witches and like a little more witch story. If you like this, I'll do a part two. If you don't, I'll shove it for now and then maybe in a couple months I'll be like, hey, uh, so let's do a witch story episode. I'll spring it on you again. So I think, let's see. Because there's there's a witch in Snow White. Uh, there's a, well, there's a wicked stepmother, which is also kind of like a witch position because like mirror, mirror, mirror magic, hello. Uh, there's a witch in Sleeping Beauty. There's not, well, yeah, there's a fairy godmother in Cinderella, but she in, in this instance is a good character, but there's also obviously like the villainizing of female characters. Let's do Snow White. And we can pick up with the other ones that I mentioned if you're interested. But you have to tell me if you want me to do it. I mean, I might just do it anyway. But, like, tell me if you want me to do it, and then I'll definitely do it. Okay, so let's do – what did I say? Snow White. Okay, so this one I'm going to talk about a little differently because Snow White is supposed to be based on a real person, allegedly. <laughs> and I found this really cool article about it. So I'm going to give you that background history first, and then we'll – I mean, I think we all know the story of Snow White, just real quick. Um, beautiful princess is born, mother dies, duds, Disney and fairy tales, and that's what always happens. Evil stepmother comes in, and she's all, I mean, am I the prettiest, fairest one here? Like, what's the tea? And the mirror's like, I mean, yeah, but, like, Snow White is honestly fairer and prettier. And the stepmother is like, mm, I don't know about that. I have to be the fairest of them all, so she's got to get out of here. So she is uh, let off, I think, by the huntsman, right? The huntsman, Snow White. And arrives, oh, and then she was, like, taken in by the seven dwarves, and they're like, well, I guess you'll just 
being made here now or whatever. Except they're very good to her. And you know, they have a beautiful little community together. And eventually a prince comes. Oh, wait. And then, then the uh, stepmother is all like, well, surprise, I'm an evil witch. Duh. And I'm, I got this poison apple and I'm going to get her to feed it to her because it turns out she's still alive. I thought she died. I thought the huntsman killed her out in the woods. She brings the apple looking straight up like a crone. Again, probably the croniest crone we see ever in like media and animation. Snow White takes the apple. She's like, thanks, creepy, mysterious person. I'll definitely take a bite of this. Takes a bite, falls into a deep sleep, goes into a glass coffin. And uh, the dwarves are obviously, is that an okay word to use? I think it is. Are obviously like devastated because that's her homegirl. And then the prince comes, who's always the man that has to come save you. And he finds her and he's like, oh, she's so beautiful. I just look like I gave her a kiss. And because you would totally kiss a dead body. <laughs> These fairy tales are so wild. Gives her a kiss and it's true love's kiss. And she is awakened and happily ever after. Okay, so that's a Disney version, which when I'm telling these Disney versions, they still don't sound that like clean cut and family friendly, but that's the version we got. So let's move on to this person that Snow White is supposed to be based on. <clears throat> Maria Sophia. Wow. Let's try that again. Maria Sophia. <laughs> How do y'all listen to this podcast? Maria Sophia von Erthel. The sister of the powerful Archbishop of Menz was born in 1725 in the Prince Elector's Castle in Lore Amman, sorry if that's not correct German, about 100 kilometers west of Bamberg in southern Germany. While she wasn't technically a princess, Maria Sophia was described in family memoirs as an angel of mercy and kindness and being charitable towards the poor and the suffering and the hearts and minds of the people. Clearly princess material. And this is from news.com.au. <clears throat> Australia, my, my spiritual home. According to fable researcher Dr. Karl-Heinz Bartels, Maria Sophia's Sophia <laughs> Why is it so hard for me? Maria Sophia's father, Philippe Christoph von Erthel, may not have been a king, but he was treated like royalty by the people of Lore. His work as an ambassador for the Archbishop of Mainz meant that he worked alongside several kings and emperors in Europe, so rubbing shoulders with royalty was close enough to him being considered royal himself, at least in the eyes of the townsfolk of Lore. We never have townsfolk anymore. I feel like you only ever hear that in fairy tales. I want to be a townsfolk. That sounds like so quaint and pleasant. In 1743, Mari Mariah, <laughs> I've never had this much trouble with a name in my life. Uh, Maria's mother died and her father, desperate to find a new mother for his children, married Claudia Elizabeth Maria von Venigen, or Venigen, uh, also known as the Imperial Countess of Reichenstein. <laughs> My German's not great. The Countess became stepmother to von Erthel's seven children, and before too long, she built up a reputation as a domineering force inside the castle. <gasps> Oh my goodness. Do you know what story I should do? Even though I don't technically consider this a witch thing. This is just a side note because the name Elizabeth and then her presence. I should do Elizabeth Bathory as an episode. I don't consider her a witch, but it's just such a good story. Um, if you want me to do an episode on Countess Elizabeth Bathory, let me know. Okay, back to this. <laughs> Vinajen had two children from a previous marriage and was said to favor her natural children over her stepchildren. And that's where this evil stepmother reference is believed to have come from. Mirror, mirror on the wall. This is the next section. Shortly after their marriage, Von Erthel gave his wife a magnificent gift, a quote, magic mirror, which was a 1.6 meter high, which was 1.6 meter high and covered in intricate decorations. According to Dr. Bartels or Bartels, the mirror was made by Von Erthel's own company, Mirror Manufacturer, around 1720 and can be viewed today in the Spessart Museum. So this is a real magic mirror. As this article is saying, 
And there is a picture of it that is from this museum. You can actually go and visit it because this, these are real people. And you could go see this mirror and it actually looks pretty cool. I'll post a picture of it. Um, the museum insists it's the very mirror that inspired the Brothers Grimm to give it a pivotal role in their famous fairy tale. Interestingly, oh yes, this is also a Brothers Grimm. Um, obviously, I've been, we've been in Germany. Snow White is a German princess in their story. Um, pivotal role in their famous fairy tale. Interestingly, the mirror on display in the museum carries the inscription Amour Propre, French for pride. So love, pride, pride, love, pride in your love. If your memory needs a push, refer to the talking mirror in the fairy tale sealed Snow White. <laughs> wow. If your memory needs a push, roll of the talk... That sentence isn't written right. Roll of the talking mirror in the fairy tale sealed Snow White's fate. This mirror is ultimately the source of truth. So this is when the queen goes all mirror, mirror. This is the mirror that purportedly inspired the Grimm brothers. Quote, unquote, magic mirror. Did the mirror actually talk? I don't know. But that's what we have in the fairy tales. Um, the, the brothers... So then the real Snow White. The brothers Grimm, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm, wrote Snow White in 1812, but the story didn't reach international audiences until Disney's groundbreaking animated film in 1937. As far as we know, Maria Sophia's life under the gaze of the domineering stepmother was nothing quite like the nightmare of the fairy tale. There is no evidence that there was the huntsman trying to kill her for her organs to feed to the queen. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. <clears throat> but according to Dr. Bartels, Maria Sophia's life would not have been terribly easy. Presumably, the hard reality of life for Maria Sophia under the woman was recast as a fairy tale by the brothers Grimm, Dr. Bartels said. Whether they were any dwarfs in Maria Sophia's life isn't really known. However, it's been said that only small statured men were able to work at the nearby mines of Bieber. Is that a place? Is Justin Bieber named after, or is he, I don't know, is he a descendant of this place in Germany? But that's the thing too, the, the dwarves work in the mine, which I forgot to say, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. Hi-ho, hi-ho. Okay, according to Bartles, uh, there were other similarities between Maria Sophia's life and the story of Snow White. <clears throat> I'm so sorry that my voice is cutting up this bad. We're having uh, a tropical storm, and so everything's getting stored up in the air. My allergies are really, really kicking my butt right now. Maria Sophia's father owned the mirror factory, and Laura was well known for its glassware and mirrors. The scary forest that features in the fairy tale could have been based on a forest on the outskirts of Laura that was known to have been home to wild animals, as well as robbers waiting for victims to walk off the beaten track. The brothers Grimm wrote about Snow White running across seven hills before reaching the Seven Dwarfs' cottage. The dwarfs work in a mine, and just outside Laura is a, is a disused mine that can be reached by traveling over seven hills. So, you know, similarities are there. As for the origins of the poison apple, Bartles claims Laura has many orchards, and uh, she managed to find out exactly what plant the poison might have come from, the Atropa belladonna. Oh, I love... I was about to say I love Belladonna. I Obviously, it's very poisonous, and be very careful if you ever try to use it in any of your work, but I just, I love Belladonna. I love that. And my mom's name is Donna. It's like, beautiful woman. I love that. Uh, Black Cherry, which is said to have an anesthetic effect that might have caused Snow White's temporary death. And then the real Maria Sophia died in 1796, and her gravestone was kept in a church in Bramberg. But when the church was locked down, it was taken to the hospital, which has been founded by Maria Sophia's brother. The gravestone was removed once again in the 1970s and looked after by a local family before it was donated to the Diocesan Museum in Bramberg. The museum's director, Holger, Holger Kepkins, told the BBC the Brothers Grimm lived just 50 kilometers from Laura Alman and were known to make literature out of the stories they heard from the local people. These are indications, through, though we cannot prove it for sure, that Sophia was the model for Snow White. Today, when you make a film about a historic person, there is also fiction in it. So in this case, I think there is a historic basis, but there are also fictional elements, Kimkin said. Sadly, Maria Sophia's life did not end very well. There was no magical kiss and no handsome prince to res rescue her. 
Following an accident, she went blind and died in a convent at the age of 71. Well, I mean, 71 is a nice little age for, you know, that time, right? It's fine, a silver lining. Uh, restoration workers at the museum recently managed to reveal the inscription on the marble gravestone. It reads, the noble heroine of Christianity. Here she rests after the victory of faith, ready for transfigured resurrection. So, um, I wanted to read that because in reading, like, fine, what am I trying to say? Doing research about Snow White, I have come across many times that they do believe that she is based on this real princess type figure. And I think it's, it's interesting, especially when we think about the mirror. So I'm going to take a screenshot of this mirror right now, and I will post it in the group so you can all see it. And we will talk about the, so we did the Disney version, we did the real life story, and now real life person perhaps. And now let's do the dark fairy tale, the Brothers Grimm fairy tale of it all. Okay, I'm so tempted to actually read this one to you as opposed to just telling you because of the wording with the mirror and how it is very, very, very much spell cadence. I don't know if it's too long. Um, oh, maybe I'll just post it because I do want you to, to have access to the actual fairy tale and I'll try to find the other ones too. But I, I just, the mirror language I want to be able to use exactly. Uh, so it will just be something like mirror, mirror on the wall who in this land is fairest of all, the mirror answered, you, my queen, are fair, it's true, but the young queen is a thousand times fairer than you, or little Snow White that lives with the dwarves is fairer than you. This is something that comes up a lot. So, yeah, it's, I think it's too long for me to read. <laughs> As if I haven't read, like, diatribes and whole novels on this before. <laughs> but basically, wait, did I mention that Snow White is the youngest princess of them all? So, in the movie, I think she's 12... 13, 14, somewhere in there. I mean, I think Belle's like 16, Aurora's 16th birthday, right? Um, Snow White is young. And in the Brothers Grimm version, she is seven when it starts. <laughs> so a literal baby angel child. Um, and I will say, so let me talk about, yeah, Snow White is definitely the only one in like the three I'm going to talk about today where she truly is innocent. I mean, not to say Ariel isn't innocent or Gretel isn't innocent, but like they got to go through like trials and tribulations that affect them. And I think would have like post-traumatic stress disorder, honestly, whereas Snow White is truly just like this innocent, pure child figure. You know, she doesn't have to kill anybody. She doesn't, things just keep happening to her. And it, like, it's just because people won't chill, like her stepmother won't chill. So anyway, she's seven. So we have uh, this magic mirror in the house. And we have the evil stepmother, which here we go again with the tropes about mothers not wanting to care for children. We have the trope about stepmothers coming in and not loving the stepchildren as much, which I know can be a reflection of reality. But to villainize that, I think it gives stepmoms, stepmoms of all types and kinds, a really bad name. And that's something that has become very, very, very pertinent in our culture and how we view stepmothers. So like, you know, shout out to Disney for reinforcing that with their clear continued hatred of women. <laughs> So, of course, original mother, dead, gone. She's out of here. Can't have an alive mother. That's the rules. Um, or I'm not even going to go into Bambi. I almost did for a second, but I stopped myself. Then we have evil stepmother. As we have evil uh, stepmother and Cinderella as well. We have dead mother. Evil stepmother comes in. Yeah, Disney's really contributed to this culture of hating women. But, like, well, I hope Disney doesn't sue me for this. <laughs> These are my opinions. This is alleged. This is all alleged. <laughs> Let me just say that. But yeah, so she is seven, magic mirror on the wall. And I, I think that is something, it's like, um, 
Mandela effect, where we think it's the Berenstain Bears, but it's the Berenstain Bears. I think we always say mirror, mirror on the wall, but I believe in the Brothers Grimm version, it's magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all, right? And the mirror's like, I mean, you, you're okay. You're, you're fine. But Snow White is the fairest of them all. So seven-year-old Snow White is, um, she gotta go. She gotta, she's gotta go. I gotta be the fairest of them all. So, uh, the evil queen get, or evil queen, evil stepmother, but she's a queen, isn't she? Cause they're white. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, evil stepmother gets the huntsman, the, the local huntsman. <laughs> it's always the huntsman, right? And is like, Hey, take her out to the woods, cut her up. Um, let's give, bring back her heart and lungs because I'm going to eat them because number one, it's going to show me that she's actually dead. And number two, um, I'm going to absorb her beauty. That's why I said I want to talk about Elizabeth Bathory maybe in an episode. But anyway, I'm going to absorb her beauty and uh, then I'll be the fairest of them all because that is my true life's goal. And you know what? Being If your life's goal is being beautiful and not chasing after a man, I'm going to give her one point for that because <laughs> at least she's determining her own fate, you know? So Huntsman obviously has morals and a heart. He's like, I'm not going to kill this this person, number one, but I'm not going to obviously kill this like sweet, innocent child. So he's like, go scamper off. You can't come back here, but like, good luck to you. And he kills, I think a cub, like a bear cub, takes its heart and lungs and brings it back to the queen, which she takes it as her proof and also eats, which like, ew, I mean, ew for a human version too, but also ew for a sweet little bear cub. So um, our girl Snow White eventually comes across the house of the seven dwarves and they is it seven dwarves or is it, I think it is. Um, and she sees everything is like childlike size. So she is like, cool. But, I mean, this really worked out, didn't it? So she goes into the house and she um, is like, I'm tired. It's a very Goldilocks situation, except Gold Goldilocks is obviously the villain of that story. But she's like, I'm going to pass out in this bed. I've been running for days. I'm seven. How, like, what am I supposed to do? I'm seven. I'm tired. So she lays down, the dwarves come back and they're like, oh, hey girl. Um... I guess you're going to stay here, but could you like tidy up? If you could tidy up, that would be awesome. And then you can totally stay here and we like, will love you and protect you. And we are your new family. And sometimes your family really is the family you find and not the family you're from or you make, you know what I mean? So they're chilling. So then one day the evil stepmom is like, Hey mirror, what's up? It's me again. Um, and so I'm the fairest, right? Like that's what we're doing. And the mirror is like, Oh, like about that, you actually aren't because Snow White, who is eight, maybe now who lives with the seven dwarves, she's still the fairest in the kingdom. And the evil summoner is like, what? Excuse me. So she finds out that the huntsman spared Snow White's life. Wait, oh, and also Snow White, uh, did we talk about the name yet? Isn't it because her skin is like the cover, the color of the driven snow and she's like very red lips. So they called her Snow White. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out because I realized I kept saying Snow White as if that's a real person's name and not a fairy tale character. So uh, she's like, well, I guess I got to just like a woman. I have to do everything myself. You know, what, can't rely on a man for anything. So she's like, I know I'm going to dress up as the crone, as this evil witch figure. Here it comes. I know you're shocked. And I am going to um, go out with some lace. And I'm going to go find this cottage and be like, knock, knock, knock. And Snow White's going to open the door. And she's eight. So she doesn't know better. She's still seven. And she's like, oh, I'm a lace salesman or saleswoman. And she's like, oh, let me lace you up. Let me lace you in. So, you know, we'll show you how my product works. <laughs> it's very door to door. And Snow White, again, is seven. is like, oh, that sounds great. And so she laces her up and she passes out. Because she laces her so tightly. 
Doris come back. They unlace her. They revive her. Probably should have been a good time for talk about Stranger Danger, but... I guess it wasn't the time because the old uh, the witch comes back in this old crone form again. And this time she's like, oh, would you like this hair comb? And the hair comb is poisoned. And Snow White, again, being seven, is like, I would love a hair comb. And I will take it from a stranger because no one's taught me about strangers with candy yet or stranger danger. So she combs her hair and she falls into a sleep. And then the dwarves come back again and they're like, okay, girl, you're really becoming a bit of a burden. Like, you got to... <laughs> You gotta start learning some lessons here, but they are able to revive her again. And so the witch is like, all right, we, we're going to go for real this time. And I'm going to straight up poison you as you like, so you're an ingest it. So the witch comes back as a farmer's wife this time, or like a farmer, farm hand maiden, whatever this time and gives her the apple. And again, our girl snow has not learned that you cannot take things from strangers. Girl, stop opening the door. Stop opening the window. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, and, and and the evil snap bomb did wise up this time. And she's like, okay, I'm not going to come as a witch again because she won't fall for it. But Snow White's seven. So she would have fall, fallen for it again. And she takes the apple and she's like, gee, Willikers, thanks so much. Shines it on her shirt. Takes a bite out of it. Dies. She dies this time. Poison apple. So the dwarves come back from work. And, you know, there's seven of them. So I feel like, could we have just kept one at home with her to babysit to keep this in rotation? Because obviously she can't be left alone. They come home and they're devastated. This is their girl. Like she's been living with them, taking care of the house. They've formed a bond with her. They're family. Now they're devastated and they can't bring themselves to bury her. So they put her into the glass coffin. So this is the same. And then in fact, they move her out towards the mines with them so they can like always keep watch of her. Cause now, cause now I guess we're going to keep watch of the seven year old who's like running the house reckless. And so she's always with them and they're protecting her, taking care of her. So here comes the prince, just whatever. La-di-da. Like we don't have a lot of backstory on him. He's a royal prince. That's all you need. He comes across the cottage at some point and also forms a relationship with the dwarves and in having this relationship with him goes to the mines and sees the beautiful princess or yeah she's a princess sees the beautiful snow white who you know for the sake of the story I'm gonna age her up to 14 15 because I don't think seven and eight is a good age for your true love <laughs> what do I know um so yeah he he's finally convinces the dwarves to take the coffin with him back to his palace Mm, what's that about? Why did he want to take this seemingly dead girl's body with him back to his palace? I don't, I don't love that part. So the dwarves are finally like, I guess, man, yeah, you can take her back. All right. If you're just going to keep asking about it. And so they hoist it up and they start carrying it through this big thick forest that they live in the middle of and by the mines. And in the process of getting her there, they drop the glass coffin and it jostles Snow White and the the apple is dislodged from her throat and that's how she wakes up. When I talk about Sleeping Beauty, if you want me to do the next episode, um, we're going to talk about how the, again, it wasn't like a case of, of true love's kiss, but we'll we'll go back to that later. Um, but yeah, so the apple is dislodged and she wakes up. So was it that it was a poison apple and the poison was just like emanating through her body and keeping her in that dead like steak? Or was it that she had choked? But if she did choke, she wouldn't be revived. Anyway, we don't have time for this. And... <laughs> We're going on an hour and 30 minutes. We don't have time for this. And uh, yeah, so then she's awake and then they do fall in love. And he's like, I must have you for my wife. Which again, if he was just going to have her body there, what's he gonna, I don't, I don't like that. I don't love that. Uh, yeah, so, but thankfully it's a fairy tale. So she wakes up and they fall in love and he brings her back to her his kingdom. And the, the dwarves are so happy for her. We love you, girl. Yes, let us come to the wedding. Let's dance all night. 
And they invite, as it's a royal family, she comes from a royal family, they invite the evil stepmother and she is brought to their palace for their wedding. And this is my favorite part of the story, even though it's so dark and twisted. As a pittance and a punishment for how she had tried to kill Snow White four times now, <laughs> and, it, and succeeded for the most part for a while, um, they, ooh, let me know. I was about to say, was she... Because she wasn't really dead, kind of. So was she, like, growing while she was in the coffin? So that's how she aged up. And she wasn't, like, a little, little girl anymore. Anyway, I, I'm just speculating on the narrative now. Uh, but they invite her there. And when she is there, her punishment is that she has to put on iron shoes that have been heated up in the fire. And so they are cold. Like, what's the word? Um, they're, they're hot. They're, like, burning red shoes. They're so hot. And she has to dance in them to her death. Which, whew, what a way to go. That sounds awful. So I will say in this story, there's obviously darkness like all the other ones. To me, this one isn't quite as dark and brutal. Just because in the end, the innocent party lives and does get her happy ending. Whereas like we look at Ariel who is like really just wanted to be with this guy. And she gets turned into foam and all of this stuff. Um... So yeah, I kind of think that Snow White, even though it is pretty dark and brutal, obviously, as we just talked about, it does have like that redeeming kind of fairy tale like ending that we usually when we hear the real versions of these fairy tales, we don't really always get the fairy tale ending. But with this one, you still kind of do. And the and the villain, well, I'm saying villain with quotes, but no, she is the villain. The villain gets her comeuppance. But you know, again, we're talking about, okay, dead mom one. We have this mother, uh, stepmother archetype, which is the mother witch archetype, which is still being blamed for things. And then we have the crone. The crone gives the, the poison and comb. The crone is lacing her up. The crone is the one trying to kill her. And, you know, in a lot of versions, isn't it that, and this is an Elizabeth Bathory thing, I wonder if, would that coincide? Like, at some point, did Elizabeth Bathory influence the stepmother? She must have. She must have. I don't know if it's a Brothers Grimm thing or a Disney thing or, like, in other retellings, but... Uh, I think in the Disney movie, it's that that is actually the witch's, the stepmother's true appearance. She is actually a witch who's like kind of seduced the king and come in and married him for all this power. Because again, we're money hungry and we want to just hoard wealth. That's totally us when we're just trying to like live in our cottage with a bed and a, our own little corner in our own little room and a broom or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think she actually does like seduce the king. And so the mirror will show her true image at times. And that's why she is so obsessed with the idea of being youthful and beautiful forever because she actually is a witch. So yeah, the stepmother is a witch character. She presents in her true form as a crone. Obviously, the crone is the ultimate one that can't be trusted and the one that wants to, again, eat and kill children that we just can't break that stereotype, can we? And it does reflect that those mythologies about witches, those histories about witches in these cultures. In Germany, again, we had the German witch trials. We had the famines. We had, you know, these horrible things that were happening that, are, again, are blamed on witches. And a lot of time, that single solitary, oh, there's those clusters of like clone clone crone women that also can we talk weren't always choosing to step away from society a lot of the times they were exiled from society and then had this moniker added onto it if you did have you know certain markings on you which is marks if you did have um if you did have a mental illness, if you had a developmental delay, if you had other kind of disability that was very prominent, you know, the people not like an invisible one, if you were widowed and people felt like it was under dark circumstances, if you never married, you know, if you were from a certain station or a certain family, all of these things could get you accused of witchcraft and then you would be exiled from society or not, maybe not always accused of witchcraft, but 
put into the status of an outsider and exile, exiled, and then people would develop their own myth mythology just around you as a singular person. Oh, well, don't go by that house because that's a witch that lives there and she'll try to eat you or she'll put a curse on you or she'll put a curse on your crops. You know what I mean? So sometimes it was like people leave women that were sufficient on their own and wanted to be by themselves leaving on their own. And sometimes it was exiled and then it became, oh, look at this evil figure that isn't with us that we sent away in the first place. So just that crone thing again is so interesting and that we are choosing in these stories to never look at these older women as these like prolific figures in society who should be respected and sh who should be loved and listened to and learned lessons from and who are nurturing. We never get the sweet faced grandmother, you know, we never get the one that's baking cookies and having you over for cider and, uh, you know, brushing your hair before bed and saying your prayers with you and kissing you goodnight on the forehead. It's always old woman equals danger, which like, do they? <laughs> like, I'm 33, right? And I can barely like walk a mile without being like, whew, not even that. I can barely film a YouTube video without being out of breath or this podcast. But then we have these 70, 80, 90, 100 year old women, 300 years old, whatever. And they're seen as like the biggest villains in society that are after everyone. Honey, I'm tired. I'm trying to have a cup of cinnamon tea and mind my business. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, I think it's so interesting. And also there is a conversation about women losing their youth, losing their beauty and not necessarily that just being like their main motivators like that and getting a man. That's what we're seeing in these stories. Well, except in the first one where it's just ugh, horrible. Um, but it's that when we lose our beauty and we lose our youth, we lose our value. And so, of course, we're, we become outcasts and witches in society and we're the ones to watch out for and we're not desirable anymore under the male gaze. So, you know, what value do we have anymore? That, I mean, honestly, when I saw the picture... Because that's how I figured out I had gray hair coming in. I saw a picture and I was like, what is that? And I had like five or six strands. And I did spiral for about a day. And I was like, I'm so old. Like, it's all over from here. <laughs> and then I was like, it's fine. If, I'll, if, I, if it grows in a lot, maybe it'll look really chic. And if it doesn't look chic and I don't, I'm not happy with it, I'll just dye my hair. Or I'll just bleach it. I'll, I'll bleach the rest of it. I'll put it yellow again because I want to be yellow anyway. So like, I'll be fine. It's fine. But I was, I was having this reaction of like, what will other people think about it? As opposed to being like, people start graying in their 30s and 40s, or some, some in their 20s and some in their late teens. Like, it's fine. It's a part of life. I didn't die. <laughs> but it's something I had to evaluate with myself this week. And now, you know, telling these stories. And actually, you know what I kind of thought of? And if you're starting to get your grades or like you have your grades and it's something that you kind of were like weird about at first, it honestly looks like I have stardust in my hair now. Like, I feel like it looks like I just have a sprinkle of stardust and it looks really pretty. And so I just kind of had to appreciate it for myself and not care what other people thought about it. Um, and that's, you know, what we we're looking at in these stories is that, oh, these women are old, ugly, bent over, wrinkly, deformed in a lot of cases, stringy hair, balding, hags. And so not only do they not have value in our society anymore, but they're actually dangerous. And it's also the danger of like all women in particular, because obviously we all age, right? But in particular, all women eventually become this. Oh, how horrible. We should always be chasing youth and, youth and beauty. So <sighs> that's my roundup. <laughs> You can't have a witchery episode without having a feminism episode, and that is my truth. But yeah, I really, oh, I hope you enjoyed this episode so much. I did not think I would be able to finish all of it today, but I did, so we can have our Wednesday episode. I'm so happy for that. I really, really hope you enjoy this. I know this is something different. I like to have this Samhain Halloween tradition of just 
incorporating like witchery. I think it's like a fun thing to do. Hopefully we can do it again next year. Uh, if you do want to do a part two with more of our stories and kind of talking about all of this stuff, I would love to do it, you know, for the next episode. So let me know how you feel about it. If you hated it, thanks for sticking through something new and just trying it out. If you loved it, I'm so happy because I, this is the most fun I've had doing an episode. I think since, I did the Salem Witch Trials last year. Like this has been so much fun and I loved it so much. So thanks for sticking with me on it. I <laughs> just had the best time. Um, I love you all. Obviously I'm wishing everyone a safe Samhain, a safe and wonderful and manifestant and meditative and luminescent full blue moon. You know, once in a blue moon is a saying for a reason, like it can be a very rare occurrence. And so, yeah, we have a Saturday, we have full moon, we have Samhain. Um, don't forget to put your candles or your lights in your windows to guide your spirits on home. Uh, don't forget to make your full moon water under the full moon. Don't forget to have your Samhain feast to eat something warm and scrumptious and delicious. And I know, did I say this earlier in the episode? I think I did, but I'll say it again, just in case. Again, I recorded this like five days apart. Um, but don't, sleep on the fact that this is a really good time to start planting your seeds. I know that in the actual calendar, we're supposed to be resting and relaxing before we start planting again. And this is like the cold that we're approaching in the darkness. But for all of us, this is a really good time to be doing our spells, doing our rituals, uh, doing our prayers, whatever it is, whatever it looks like for you. This is a great time to start manifesting because in the spring, we really want things to bloom and blossom for us. Speaking of which, I know we didn't have like full episodes this month and we had our Heidi episode, which love her forever. I'm so glad so many people checked that episode out and liked it. Um, I hope you did do your manifestation box. I hope so. And I hope you're excited to open it up on 31st and, you know, see what comes of it. So I hope you did that. But yeah, that is, I think it's time for me to shut up. <laughs> talking for a long, long time. I think it's time for me to hush. Happy and blessed Samhain to all of you. Happy Halloween. Happy Toussaint. Happy All Saints Day. We are going to go out to the cemetery as we do here and visit with our ancestors on Toussaint. And um, yeah, I'm just wishing you all happiness and safeness and please make good decisions because this is a holiday and a pandemic. And I know you're going to do the right thing and keeping yourself safe, your kids safe, your loved ones safe, all of that. All right. I love you all so much. Blessed be. Until next time, you deserve good and we're all going to live happily ever after. Mwah! Goodbye.